brought to you by Charity Mobile, the phone company that shares your values. More information is available at CharityMobile.com. Good morning. This is Anthony Stein. My voice might sound a little weird right now, but that's because there's a cold tearing its way through my family. And yes, I got it. So, hooray. Um, anyway, today I have for you a continuation and almost conclusion of our going through of Pope Innocent III's papal writings. We've been going through them once every few months or so, and there's only one more left, at least in the collection of his writings that I have. So, here he talks about, well, this is his address at the Fourth Lateran Council, the opening of it, and he talks about how he has long desired to break this Paschal feast with people. Sounds familiar, it should. He said that he had it, this, uh, the latter Fourth Lateran Council started on the feet of Feast of St. Martin, which was a holy day of obligation in those days. So, here there, he's giving this address at Mass. This is his uh, his Mass sermon. And it doesn't sound like anything we hear today, coming from that man in white in Rome that people see as the Pope. We don't hear this call to action that the Pope is giving in this address. We don't hear everything rooted in the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and his loving redemption of mankind. We, we just don't hear that stuff anymore. It begs a lot of questions. Anyway, I hope you find this helpful today. Convening the Fourth General Council of the Lateran by Pope Innocent III I have desired with longing to eat this pasch with you before I suffer, that is, before I die. Since for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, I do not refuse, if it is ordained by God, to drink the chalice of suffering, whether it will be given to me to drink for the defense of the Catholic faith or for the faith aid of the Holy Land, over the welfare of ecclesiastical liberty. Although I desire to remain in the flesh until the work I have undertaken is finished, nevertheless not mine, but the will of God be done. And so I have said to you, I have desired with longing to eat this pasch with you before I suffer. The desires of mankind are many and varied. Can anyone explain them? But all of them can be reduced to these two, clearly the spiritual and the carnal, the spiritual which are concerned with celestial and eternal things, and the carnal concerned with temporal and earthly things. Of the first, the prophet says in a psalm, My soul is ravished with desire for your judgments always. And the bride says in the song, I sat under the shadow of the one I desired, and this fruit was sweet on my tongue. The apostle Peter says of the second, Flee the desires of the flesh, which war against the spirit. And another, Ben Sirah, Remove the desire for evil far away from me. I, however, call upon his testimony, who is the steadfast witness in heaven, that I have desired with longing to eat this pasch with you not with carnal, but with spiritual desire, for, not for earthly profit or temporal glory, but for the reformation of the universal church, and especially for the liberation of the Holy Land. It is chiefly and principally for these two undertakings that I have convened the sacred council. But perhaps you will say, what is this pasch that you desired to eat with us? For pasch is interpreted in different ways in divine scripture, as a day, whence, now the feast of unleavened bread, which is also called the pasch, had drawn nigh, as an hour, whence the fourteenth day, Toward evening is the Pasch of the Lord. As a lamb, whence the day of the unleavened bread came on which the Pasch must be sacrificed. As unleavened bread. Whence they did not go into the praetorium so they would not be contaminated, but could eat the Pasch. As a festival, whence before the feast of the day of the Pasch, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, they might pass from this world to the Father. And even for Christ himself, whence Christ our Pasch is sacrificed. 
Indeed, in Hebrew is phase, which is passing over, and in Greek, paschen, which is to suffer, because it is through suffering we must pass over to glory, as truth himself said. It was necessary for the Christ to suffer so as to enter into his glory. For that reason, if we wish to co-reign with him, it is necessary that we also co-suffer with him. Although the sufferings of this time are not wholly worthy of the future glory that will be revealed in us, this past, which is the phase that is passing over, I have desired with longing to eat with you. Of this it is said in Exodus, quote, They shall eat hastily, for it is the phase that is the passing over the Lord. It is clearly written in the book of Kings and very confirmed, and very clearly confirmed in the Paralipamanon, the book of Chronicles, that in the eighteenth year of the reign of King Josiah, the temple was restored, the phase was celebrated, in such a way as it had not been done in Israel since the days of the judges and the kings. Let this history of past events be a parable for today's urgent time, so that in this, the eighteenth year of our pontificate, the temple of the Lord, which is the church, may be restored, and phase or pasch, that this solemn council be celebrated. Through this pasch may there occur among the Christian people who see God through faith, a true passing over from vices to virtues, in such a way as, in truth, has not occurred in Israel since the days of the judges and the kings. That is, from the times of the Holy Fathers and of the Catholic princes. And I confidently hope in him who makes a promise to the faithful ones, saying, Wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. He himself is present here to celebrate this Pascha among us who have gathered in the Basilica of the Savior, in the name of the Savior, for those things that pertain to salvation. Even more, there is a triple Pascha, phase I desire to celebrate with you, physical, spiritual, eternal. Physical, so there may be a passing over to a place. Two, free, pitiable Jerusalem. Spiritual, so that there may be a passing over from one condition to another, to reform the universal church. Eternal, so there may be a passing over from earthly life to eternal life, so as to obtain celestial glory. In the Lamentations of Jeremiah, Jerusalem pitiably cries out for us for the physical Passover. O all you who pass along the way, listen and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow. Then pass over to me, all you who love me, so that you can free me from my great misery. For I, who used to be the mistress of nations, have now been made a servant. I, who used to be crowded with people, now sit as if I were alone. The street of, of Sion mourn, because there is no one who comes to the solemn feast. Her enemies have become her lords. The holy places are all profaned, and the sepulchre of the Lord, which used to be revered, is now defiled. Where Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God was adored, the prophet of the others, the son of perdition, is now worshipped. The alien sons insult me, and they taunt the wood of the cross, saying, You trusted in the wood, now let us see if it can help you. Oh, what shame, what chaos, what ignominy that the sons of the servant woman, the unworthy Agarans, now hold our mother in servitude, the mother of all the faithful whom the psalmist surely speaks. Mother Sion, he says, everyone is born in her, and the Most High himself has founded her. It is there that God, our King, before all the ages, chose to accomplish our salvation in the midst of the world. So what are we to do? Behold, lovely brothers, I wholly commit myself to you. I make myself totally accessible to you. In compliance with your conciliar decision, if you think it is expedient, I am prepared personally to undertake this work. I will pass over to the kings and princes and peoples and nations, and indeed, even beyond, to arouse them with a mighty cry, so that they will rise up to fight the fight of the Lord and redress the injury of the crucified one. Because of our sin was he cast out of his land and from his throne, which he had purchased with his blood, and in which he consummated the whole mystery of our redemption. Regardless of what others may do, we, the priests of the Lord, must especially take up this task, aiding and supporting with personal goods the needs of the Holy Land. No one at all should be left who does not participate in such a great work, lest he be deprived of such a great reward. 
In the past, in a similar case, God achieved liberation in Israel through priests. When through the Maccabees, unquestionably priests, the sons of Matthias, he freed Jerusalem and the temple from ungodly hands. Now as to the spiritual Passover, the Lord has said to the man dressed in linen, who had the ink horn of a scribe at his loins, pass through the center of the city and mark Tau on the foreheads of the men who sigh and mourn over all the abominations being committed within. Then he said to the six men who had the weapons of destruction in their hands, Pass through the city following him, and pierce through and through all on whom you do not find the Tau. Let your eyes spare no one, and begin in my sanctuary. The man dressed in linen, who had the ink horn of a scribe at his loins, should be the preacher, a man robust in virtue, like the man of whom the scripture says. There was a man in the land of Uz named Job. This man was blameless and upright, fearing God and shunning evil. Dressed in linen, that is, dressed with honest habits and good works, as is said in another place, always see that your garments are dazzling white. That is, let your works be pure. For the linen from which the priestly vestments were made, according to the law, designates cleanliness and honesty because of the radiance to which it is brought by maceration of the flesh and by contrition. The scribe, preeminent and supreme, is the Holy Spirit, the finger of God, who wrote the tablets of the Testament. Of him the psalmist says, My tongue is the pen of a scribe, writing swiftly. The ink horn of the scribe is the gift of knowledge from which the ink of doctrine is brought forth by the pen of the tongue to be written on the parchment of the heart. The loins are the center of our desires. So the Lord commands, Gird your loins. And the psalmist prayed to the Lord, Purge my loins and my heart. This all means that he who has the ink horn of a scribe is the one who, by the gift of knowledge given him by the Holy Spirit, restrains and moderates the desires of the flesh in himself, so that his way of life is not discordant with his teaching, lest it will be said to him, Physician, heal thyself. You who preach that men must not steal, steal. You who teach that men should not commit adultery, commit adultery. So truth says, let your loins be girded up and your lamps burning in your hands. This man is ordered to pass through the center of the city and to mark town the forehead of the men who sigh and mourn. T is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, representing the shape of the cross. It was so constituted before Pilate set the inscription above the crucified Lord, and also which the blood of the lamb smeared on every doorpost and also on the lintels of the houses mysteriously signified. Whoever by his actions reflects the righteousness of the cross bears this sign on his forehead, just as the apostle says, let him crucify his flesh with its vices and desires. And thereby let him say to the apostle, far be it for me to glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world is crucified to me and I to the Lord. Such men certainly sigh and mourn over the abominations that are committed within the city. The sins of their neighbors are the frying pans for searing the just. Who, says the apostle, is weak and I am not weakened, who is scandalized, and I do not burn. Just as a man dressed in linen who had the ink horn of a scribe at his loins should pass through the center of the city and mark town the forwards of the men who sigh and mourn over all the abominations that are committed within it, so the high priest who has been constituted watchman over the house of Israel should pass through the whole church, which is the city of the great king, the city set on the mountain, investigating and inquiring into the merits of individuals to see whether they say the good is evil or evil good, lest they are judging darkness to be light or light darkness lest they are killing souls that are not dying or giving life to souls that should not live. It is so that he can distinguish and determine between the two and the other that he should mark towel on their foreheads of the men who mourn. It is to show the ones who sigh and mourn over the abominations that are committed within the church that he marks towel on their foreheads. They are the ones who truly sigh for the crimes and mourn for the disgrace over the abominations that are committed within the city. Because the abomination has already advanced so far that the disgrace is a crime and the crime is a disgrace. So if we resolutely dig through the law, as the prophet was commanded to do, we will see worse abominations, and even the worst abominations, which have been committed even within the temple. The sixth men, every single one having the weapons of destruction in his hand, should be you, men of virtue. 
There are six because of the mystery of that number, so that you will be perfect in work and work. For six is the perfect number, because its sum is drawn from its non-fractional parts. So on the sixth day, God completed the creation of heaven and earth and all their beauties. And when in the fullness of time he came into the world, it was in the sixth age, on the sixth day, at the sixth hour, that he redeemed the human race. Even as he spoke his last words from the cross, the weapon of destruction that you should hold in your hands for punishing the wicked is pontifical authority, which you should wield in your work of vanquishing evildoers. For example, the psalmist says, In the morning I slayed all the sinners in the land so that I might cut off all the workers of iniquity from the city of the Lord. It also sailed elsewhere of these implements. He has bent his bow and readied it, and he has armed the, we armed the weapons of death. He has made his arrows into burning spears. It is therefore commanded you, pass over through the center of the city, following him, that is, the high priest, his leader, a prince, and the teacher, so that you pierce, to whatever degree the fault will require, by interdicting and disbarring, by excommunicating and deposing, all in whom you do not find the towel marked by him who closes and no one opens, who opens and no one closes. Those marked with the towel are not to be harmed, just as it is said elsewhere. Do not harm the earth, nor the sea, nor the trees, until we mark the servants of our God on their foreheads. As to the others, however, it is said, let your eye spare no one, so that there will be no partiality toward any person among you. Remember what Moses is recorded as having spoken to the sons of Levi. If any man is the Lord, let him be joined to me. Let every man put his sword through his thigh. Go out and back and forth from gate to gate through the middle of the camp. And every man and his brother and his friend and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi carried out the command of Moses. May you henceforth similarly carry it out. So strike that you heal, slay that you may give life. By the example of him who said, I will slay and I will give life. I will strike and I will heal. And, he said, and my sanctuary begin. Indeed, it is time, as the blessed apostle said, for judgment to begin at the house of the Lord. For all corruption and the people come first from the clergy, because if a priest who is anointed sins, he makes the people guilty. It is certain that when the laity see the clergy sinning shamelessly and outrageously, they will also fall into sins and ungodliness because of the clergy's example. And when they are reproved by anyone, they immediately make excuse for them, saying, the son can do what he, only what he has seen the father doing, and it is enough to be dis, uh, to be a, for the disciple if he is like his master. So this prophecy is fulfilled. The people will be just like the priest. Indeed, now the sea says, "Blush with shame, O Sidon, for this is where evil has come into the Christian people. Faith decays, religion grows deformed, liberty is thwarted, justice is trampled underfoot, heretics emerge, schismatics grow haughty." The faithless rage, the, the Agerians conquer. As for the everlasting Passover, the Lord says, Blessed are those servants whom the Lord comes. He shall find watching. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself and make them sit down to eat, and passing among them he will serve them. About this passing over, the martyrs re rightly rejoice, saying in the psalm, We have passed over the fire and water, and you have led us into a place of refreshment. This pass above all I desire to eat with you in the kingdom of God. This eating may be physical or spiritual of the one, it is said, giving them something to eat, of the other, slay and eat. There is also an eating that is sin, and an eating that is punishment. Of the first, it is said, they ate the sacrifices of the dead. Of the other, my sword shall eat flesh. There is also the eating as doctrine, and the eating that is penitence. Of the first, it is said, I have food to eat that you do not know. Of the other, they ate ashes like bread. Moreover, there is the eating of the Eucharist, and the eating that is eternal glory. Of the Eucharist it is said, He that eats me shall live because of me. Of eternal glory it is written, Blessed is he who will eat the bread in the kingdom of God. It is especially this final eating that I long with desire to eat this pasch with you, so that we may pass the labor to rest. 
From sorrow to joy, with unhappiness to glory, from death to life, from corruption to eternity, our Lord Jesus Christ granting it, to whom is honor and glory forever. Amen. And that is Pope Innocent III on the convening of the Fourth General Council of the Lateran. You don't hear popes talk like that much anymore. There he was rallying the troops to spread the gospel into free lands taken from the church. And by the church, I mean from Christendom. Back in a time when the state and the church worked in partnership for the common good instead of whatever it is we have now. It would be nice to hear that kind of talk from popes today, but we don't. Here he is telling people to pick up their cup of suffering, to embrace their suffering, for to do penance, and of course to risk everything for the faith. What a str what, what a strange dichotomy to hear that, and then to compare it to the latest ramblings of of Francis the Great and Merciful. Curious what you thought of this? Let me know in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help. As I'm sharing this on social media, that helps a lot as well. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.